0: launch and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What brand do you remember making an impact on you when you were a young girl?
1: You know, Cole Haan um, had a big impact on me. I just found the simplicity of their products, high quality. Um, I grew up in Southern California going to South Coast Plaza and there was a Cole Haan, um, store there. And I, I don't know why it just, you know, just captured uh, a lot of what I appreciated. And um, I know when I uh, started at Mercedes-Benz and got a little bit of a bonus while I was there, it's one of the first things I went out and purposely bought was a pair of Cole Haan shoes. It was my moment of sort of self-gratification on something that I aspired um, to. So definitely Cole Hahn comes to mind.
0: The power of early impressions, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, But the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Michelle Van Slyke, the SVP of marketing and sales at the UPS Store, Inc., the world's largest franchisor of retail shipping, posting, printing, and business service centers. The UPS Store Inc. is a subsidiary of UPS, the $85 billion in sales, multinational enterprise. Michelle has been at the UPS Store for 11 years, with prior CMO stints at Jacuzzi Group Worldwide and Raley's, the privately held California grocery chain. Earlier in her career, Michelle was a car buff. She worked at Ford, Jaguar, Mercedes-Benz, and Hyundai over the course of 18 years. Michelle is a deep believer in the importance of positivity and gratitude in achieving business results. I am grateful already for this conversation with Michelle Van Slyke. Michelle, welcome to the CMO Podcast. It must be nice to have your corporate headquarters in San Diego. (laughs) What is the best thing about that?
1: Oh, I love Southern California. You know, I grew up here in San Bernardino, not too far away. So I was so excited when I can make it back to California.
0: My wife's a San Diego native and my daughter lives there now. She works at UCSD. Is there anything challenging about having her headquarters in such a paradise?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting sometimes. Uh, it reminds me of going to college. You want to have the meeting outside at times, right. uh, for sure. You, you look outside and from a meeting room, you're like, ah, you know, it's a gorgeous day. What are we doing here? We want to be at the beach. So there are those moments.
0: So I just read in Entrepreneur, you know, the digital magazine, an article mm-hmm. that you wrote not too long ago with the title, How Gracious Leadership Can Boost Results. And I loved the story. So my first question is, why did you write it and why now?
1: Well, it's interesting. I served as the interim president of the UPS store over the last few months this year. And boy, it was an eye-opener. You cannot function without a team of support. And I saw it um, completely during that time. So I was grateful day after day, month after month, that I had a a team of folks that were helping me. Um, so that was really the aha moment, the spark uh, for that, for sure.
0: You say, we're going to talk about your interim role as CEO a little bit later in the podcast, because I think mm-hmm. it's, it's very interesting. But I want you to talk a little bit more about that article. And in, in it, you say that positivity and gratitude are correlated with higher performance. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you develop that conviction.
1: Well, you know, in a lot of ways, I wake up happy every day. That's just sort of my demeanor. I'm this optimistic, um, my, my team makes fun of me because my saying is I might never give up berries every morning. And so I wake up with this tenaciousness, this go get them. And I want the t- folks that work with me every day to feel the same way, right? Um, we're very thankful for the positions that we have and our ability to contribute. I think it's also port- part of being uh, in a franchise system You know, you you really do need to have that optimism and um, that sense of gratitude because you affect so many people's lives that own these businesses. That um, you know, it can get overwhelming at times with that times with that sense of responsibility. So that's another way to just stay grounded in terms of how you feel about being part of the business.
0: How do you coach that attitude or that way of thinking with your direct reports, with your colleagues? you know with your franchisees because you know every leader is a coach. So and this is very personal too. You wake up with a great attitude and you start your day with a great attitude. Not every not everyone does that every day. We're all human. Sure, sure. So how do you, how do you help your team with this concept of uh, positivity and gratitude and performance?
1: I try to do it every day at every moment regardless of the topic. Uh, You know, we just had some budget meetings this past week and last week and really started them back in July for 2022. And nobody really wants to go to a budget meeting. You know, I I joke when you're in college, they don't say, hey, guess how much time you're going to be spent spending on budgets. It's, oh, marketing's exciting and this is fun and glamorous, if you will. And so even in those moments when we're having those meetings, I show up, with a great attitude, try to be positive at the beginning saying, Hey, this is part of what we do. Hey, aren't you excited? You know, I kind of overdo it at times given the moment, but I think the key is to try to do it on a consistent basis, regardless of the topic. Um, and I think that's how you infuse it in, um, in individual team members for sure. And same goes with, with our network and our store owners.
0: I want to go to your career path now because it's so interesting. And then we're going to pop to your current role and talk about that. But you have a really interesting career path, and I'll just rattle off some of the brands. Jaguar, Ford, Mercedes-Benz, Hyundai, uh, Raleigh's, Jacuzzi, and now the UPS store. So if I look for themes in that career path, Michelle, I certainly see automobiles. I see franchising. I see customer delight, customer service. So I would like to ask you, would you agree with that assessment, and are there any themes that I am missing?
1: I completely agree with you. Um, it's interesting, and in starting with Ford Motor Company, I had it in my head that um, if I'm going to be um, in marketing in general, then I want to be a big fish in a big pond. Like, I really want to be engaged and part of something. And I joke because I you know, graduated from Notre Dame, blah, 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 thinking I'm all this and that, and I start with Ford Motor Company. And the second day with Ford Motor Company, they had me answering the phone, talking to customers. And I thought, I'm going to be the best at that because the company must know I'm here to learn something. So early in my career, I learned that listening to the customer is key. If you're not connected at that level, then you're not connected. And I never wanted to be that idiot marketer at the headquarter, not knowing what's going on. So I agree with your assessment. It's been a combination of, um, you know, that customer-focused, big brands having a big impact for sure.
0: There's nothing like, it gets back to your positivity and gratitude theme, there, there's nothing like listening to people and listening to customers. If you're a curious person, and I think the great marketers are generally curious, and I think yeah. you're a curious person, it's endlessly interesting. You know, when, when I joined P&G, this is years back, when the 800 number, every one of our brands had an 800 number. Mm-hmm. And that's a little bit dated now, of course, but just walking over to our customer service center and sitting down with the operators on different brands to hear what was coming in sure, and the emotions, the questions, the challenges, what's really on their mind, you do that for two hours and you, you have more energy for your work because you realize how important what you do is for those people when they're using your brand. So I think it's just a great lesson. There's a lot, you know, listening to the customer right now is so easy to mm-hmm. do. And I think it needs to be part of all of our rituals.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you touched on something. Um, walking into UPS, it was interesting because there was no tangible product, right? Not like an automotive when you can touch it and feel it and whatnot. So that was a bit of a transition too, going from automotive to non-automotive um, you don't have anything to touch. It's a service industry. So it was completely different.
0: Now you spent your longest time at Ford, I think about 15 years. So I'd like you to talk about that. Obviously it was very developmental for you. you. You joined as a young leader and you spent quite a bit of your career there. So what, how did Ford shape you into the leader you are today?
1: Again, so grateful um both for the company itself and the programs it had and my colleagues, plenty of mentors. Um, in fact, sometimes I just lobbed onto people and didn't let go because I thought that they were great and they knew a lot. It was a, a structured way that they did it at the beginning as well. You know, a lot of relos were involved uh during the hiring process. I said, hey, you know, take me wherever I want to go. And for somebody growing up in Southern California, I don't think they believed me, frankly. First reload was to the Washington, D.C. area, then Boston, then Dallas, then um, Michigan, then New York, then California, then Michigan again. So all of those really help you understand as well. I think folks that spend their career in one geographic location, their perspective is just not there. Um, The Ford Motor Company also took me globally. I had the opportunity, obviously, to go to the U.K. a lot, um, South America, Japan. So it gives you that broader perspective. And then at the same time, they're putting you in training sessions that are meaningful all the way from I've taken a transmission apart and put it back together mm. um, to uh, being on racetracks to a voice of the customer session. So it's almost as if you're doing work and you're learning at the same time. Uh, and then there's just droves of mentors within the organization that um, just have of comments and thoughts and actions that are meaningful that have certainly stuck with me for the through the years,
0: were you a car buff before you joined Ford or you became a car buff?
1: You know it's interesting. um uh, growing up in Southern California, cars are just part of the culture. you know my first car was a california bug uh type thing, and then I got into automotive, obviously, and got excited about it and so once I left automotive, I said am i a am I a car person that's a marketer?" And it turned out I was a marketer who happened to be in automotive. Mm-hmm. It, in the end, I think that that's how I, I've, I've sort of sorted it out. But um, it, uh, it certainly is a lot of fun being in automotive, without a doubt. Uh, and then, you know, a service industry, there are so many passion points. It's just a, a different way to look at, at, at the product that you have.
0: So of all the roles you had at Ford and Beyond, which one was most stretching for you, Michelle? Which one moved you most outside your comfort zone?
1: While I was at Ford, I was put into another marketing leadership um, group, if you will, that was sort of an accelerated place for you to have your career. And so they plucked me out of where I started, which was parts and service, and they threw me into export operations. So here I was early in my career responsible for products being manufactured in North America and sold outside the U.S. to uh, Japan, um, South Korea, Asia Pacific area. So it was learning on the job and it was um, figure it out mode. And part of the way I figured it out is I just walked around the building to the person who was in charge of this. Um, if I had to get a vehicle from North America over to Japan quickly, I walked over to the person who was in charge of putting um, vehicles on vessels or putting them on planes and getting them over. So I learned to... um do more human contact because mm-hmm. it's something that I didn't know so I had to learn from people and I had to connect with people in order to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. A lot of times I was tenacious there was a time we couldn't get I can remember um an electrical whole hardest wiring system for cars that we needed to go over for a specific um event and I said where are they I'll just go pick them up myself. You know how hard can that be to get them to where I need to be to put everything together to get over at that moment, they're like, well, Michelle, uh, you can't be picking up wiring harnesses and moving them around for us to put on. We'll, we'll take care of it. And I said, all right. But uh, I had, I definitely demonstrated or a, a exercise of my can-do attitude by them throwing me in a job that I knew nothing about, for sure.
0: We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So, what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable, dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now let's talk about your current company the UPS Store and your role. And I want to start with a kind of an overall big question. Your vision is to help small businesses in their communities. And you have 5000 locations and you have, you know, locations within walking distance of my home. And mm-hmm. I and I love I love going there because it's part of life. Uh, You have a front seat on so many of the opportunities and issues in the economy and society because of who you are. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about what topics and issues are you and your team most frequently working on with your franchisees at this moment?
1: Well, it's interesting because in the role that we have, it's both taking care of our customer and taking care of our store owner at the same time. And you have to do both because um, the face of who we are is really across the counter um, with the store associates and the store owners. So always listening to what's going on is critical. Um, I have a marketing advisory council that I hold dear that gives me insight. And then we actually have an online system of passionate, the UPS store customers that I could ping at any moment for feedback. And when the, for example, when the pandemic started, we started waves of feedback. Um, I'm not sure what wave we're on right now, I don't know, 15 or so, of, of trying to understand what's going on and how they're feeling. And so it's just staying connected and understanding what's going on and being a good listener to figure out what I need to do. We're challenged with the same, you know, Issues that are out there through the social unrest, trying to manage that through the pandemic, trying to manage that right now, um, doing everything we can to be supportive. We know there are hiring challenges, trying to alleviate the amount of labor required in the store and make it seamless for the customer is pretty much top of mind. We're testing things like self-service kiosks, testing things like an easier way for you to drop off packages. So trying to uh, really focus on that seamlessness that's going on right now, and also to minimize the labor that's in the store environment for both the customer, as well as our, our associates and store owners.
0: As you look at that arc, you're on the 15th wave or so, as you said, how are people feeling now? Are they feeling upbeat you know, versus the last you know, 15, 18 months?
1: For sure. Yeah. A level of optimism has been on a little bit of a roller coaster. And really, our small business owners were optimistic early. They were early adopters of being optimistic. Uh, And I really do appreciate that resilience because during the recession, for example, they were some of the most downtrodden, just pessimistic group. We're like, oh, my gosh, how how can we speak with them? How can we connect in some fashion? So it's very different this time than it has been for other trying times just a sense of optimism is great. I really do think it has to do with how you can do business these days. You don't have to have a brick and mortar. You can do it out of your home. You can do you can do a lot now with tools that you have maybe that you didn't have um, several years ago.
0: Now, your current role, your SVP of marketing and sales at UPS, you've been there about 11 years. You have a huge scope of responsibilities. I'm just going to rattle them off. Advertising, strategy, communications, public relations, social media, product development, uh, franchisee communications, technology, marketing, consumer experience, corporate retail locations, franchise sales at five thousand points of sale, and on all of that, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you served as interim president this past summer. So, what was that like? How was that? And you know what? What leadership lessons did you learn from that time where you had you kept your current responsibilities, and you just by the way you just added on interim president.
1: Yeah, it was a moment in time. I'll give you that. Uh, you know, and thinking about having two full time roles, if you will. Um, I did lean on a lot of individuals. I just, you just have to. And I think bringing people in early on whatever the situation was, was key. My communication skills elevated tremendously during that time. Prioritization was key. You, you have to prioritize. There's just no other way to function. And then. I became a lot nicer than I've ever been. It's an interesting dynamic because you want to create a good environment in it at a time that's very action-packed, I call it. And I wanted it for myself as well. Um, There were days at the end and people know I have this saying, I ran out of nice. Um, <laughs> And uh it would be later in the day working on something. I'm like, I'm just going to give a heads up. Like my nice is running low. So let's, Let's work through this, but you know i I, I joke I'm human like the next guy. Uh, again, it was a great experience. i so grateful for the opportunity. I made it clear however I could contribute is sort of the mentality that I went in with it. Um, there were a lot of big moments in there, you know, presenting to Carol Tomei and the leadership team, um, having a meeting with a UPS board member. So it wasn't just a regular day to day it was doing the day to day that was necessary in that in both roles. Um, and I did everything I could to stay connected in, in both roles, um, you know, driving to and from work. Boy, I was working the phone to see who I could stay connected with. So I learned a ton and, and very grateful for the opportunity for sure.
0: And Carol Tomei is the CEO of your parent company, UPS. Uh-huh. So it's a, that's, a, that's a big role. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about your, your new president came in after several months. You were interim. She came from Crate and Barrel. Mm -hmm. She's been in the position, I don't know, what, six or eight weeks, so not very long. What advice have you given her after holding that role for several months, being at the company for 11 years? What advice have you given her about the company and the culture?
1: Yeah, her and I spoke before she started on October 1st, and one of the first things I mentioned was prioritization. With an organization that's as complex as we are, with franchising a parent company everything that can go on, it really was prioritized because there's no way, A, that you could fix everything. There's no way that you can work on everything. So the key is to focus in areas that have the greatest impact for our business, whether it's for our customer, whether it's for our store owners, whether it's for UPS, what's going to have the greatest impact? And so that's been the one moment. I think at the time it probably sounded fairly simple, That mm-hmm. of course, prioritize. I think once you get into it and you understand all the, all the dynamics going on, it really is what you have to do because you just, you just can't do it all.
0: I remember when I uh, entered the C-suite at Procter & Gamble as global marketing officer, my CEO at the time, first thing he said to me was, the job will outrun you. And just, you can't let that happen. But left to its devices, you will be... Working 24 hours a day. And he said, You can't do that. It'll kill you. You won't be effective. You won't be creative. So I agree with you. Prioritization, how you spend your time, how you plan ahead, it's everything to do about success and keeping ourselves energetic, healthy, creative.
1: For sure. And I I really chat with the team now about that as well. Of late, I try to, if it's not an emergency after 5 p.m., I don't need to be pinging them for things that can clearly wait for the next day. It's interesting, I was just reading online about, I think it was Portugal that was looking for an actual law that uh, keeps employers from, you know, pinging employees after 5 p.m. for things that are, where you can't do it at all. So I think that there's this notion that you do have to set things aside and take a moment. Again, lucky to be here in Southern California through it all. If I just could walk outside and breathe fresh air and do that for a moment, I was much better off than trying to just gun it out. day after day after day.
0: It's amazing what a short break does. A walk around the block, uh, go outside and stretch. You know, I, I agree. I think the pandemic reinforced that with me big time. I should have known that. I've been working a long time. But these frequent breaks where you just get some fresh air, change your perspective, you walk back to your work and different ideas come.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. You know, I, I, I really am a, a preacher of that. In fact, we did a, a session with some of our... Um, co-op advertising uh, store owners. And we actually did Zoom yoga. We had a person come in that specifically does it while you're in a seating position. And so even that is a moment of how could we all do that together um, just to shake it off for, for a moment. And then you are more creative. You're a better problem solver. I know through it all, if issues came up, I was much better the next day than I was in the moment. So sometimes I would say, give me a moment Let me regroup and let's circle back, and I'm sure we'll come up with something. We'll figure out a a path forward, but you do need to take that moment.
0: Let's get back to your scope as SVP of marketing and sales. I reeled off what you look out over, and it seems to be about everything. How do you manage it? And we just talked about focus. Where do you personally focus?
1: Well, first of all, I'm thankful for um, having great team members that lead the different areas do really rely on them to be the leaders for their area. My job, I keep saying, is to break down barriers and provide resources. So when I hear that something is awry there, I will do everything I can to be supportive and and provide resources. Then um, we collectively get together to talk about what our priorities are. I mentioned 2022. We started working on 2022 in July um got them all together let's talk about this what's working well what's not working well and how can we prioritize cuz again you cannot do everything and prioritization both for the human investment and your financial investment is key i want to i want to put those resources where they're going to have the greatest return
0: i read about your store redesigns and i know you have had a lot of personal energy for that and it seems to have gone very well so i i'd like you to th- to share with us a bit that story and why has it gone well? What principles did you follow? How did you go about that? Because of course, the history is full of, of redesigns that have worked and redesigns that have sunk companies. So could you take us through how, how you thought about it, how you approached it and why it's working for you?
1: Well, when I joined the organization 11 years ago, which was just this past Monday, oddly enough, um, I knew that something was needed just from a pure outsider's perspective. The key really was both to get expert help and to have a cross-functional group work on it. working on it. So that was one of the keys from the beginning to get a world-class design firm involved, follow their process that they had already proven out. Um, I'm big in cheating. Like if somebody else has already done the work, why, why am I trying to recreate that? I'm I'm not the smartest person to do it when smart people have already done it. Let me borrow that. Um, then we really did do uh, our diligence in putting a cross-functional team together. We had a team with store owners. We had a, a team with area franchisees. We had operations. We had franchise development. Is that easy to corral, to, to work on the answers? No, but if you put the foundation together at the beginning, then it flows much better. Did it take us longer because of that? Absolutely, it did. But that's a better route to go because the key is we wanted our retail environment to be better, operationally better, more focused on uh, the customer. Uh, You know, we wanted it to be better in so many ways. Hey, our business is good today. For the stores that have the um, black and tan design, I assure you that they're doing really well right now. So it was a the notion of it needs to be even better. And, and so fortunately, it's, uh, it's certainly been a passion point. I call it, I had three amigos, myself, woman who headed operations at the time and the head of franchise development. The, w- the three of us were stuck together because if operations had to operate it and franchise development had to sell it, and I'm the, you know, the marketing role there, then we, we had to all work together. So we were thick as thieves for sure. Um, the three of us working together and. It's been a sure it's been a pleasure for sure we just marked our 100th store open um recently so it was exciting to know that there are 100 stores open on operational we continue to get feedback it'll it'll always morph uh, and I mm-hmm. think that's where my automotive background comes in we you know I always knew that when you launch a vehicle you're still working on it and making adjustments and the same holds true for us um we'll continue to morph in it and, and adapt for that but um It really has been um, a passion for me uh, to ensure that it's um, an area of our business. When you're in retail and you have locations, then your locations, especially if they're 1,400 square feet, you know, they need to be be the best that they can be for sure.
0: Now that you have it in 100 stores, is there anything that surprised you that you didn't expect on the upside or the downside?
1: Yeah, um, you know, store associates, we did not include store associates per se, in the cross-functional group. Did we have our store owners? Yes. And so earlier this April, we um, surveyed them more formally because we had gotten informal. And I'll tell you what, the open floor design created a sense of team that we did not expect. They can see what each other's doing. They can more easily communicate because there's no barrier between the front and the back. Um, They have a sense of, um, you know, sort of work satisfaction by being more team-oriented. And that was a little bit of an aha moment, didn't necessarily expect that. And then for um, our store owners that have multiple stores, um, they have the old design and the new design. A lot of the associates in the old design want to work, even if it means traveling further to work in the new design. So we didn't know that it was going to be Hmm. that exciting necessarily at that level for the actual in-store associates and team members.
0: That's a terrific benefit. What a oh, wonderful that surprise.
1: That. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the we're we're sort of an organization. If you to know us is to love us, is what I what I say about our customer base. And the store associates have personal relationships with the customers. It's sort of the, you know, the cheers of um, the packing shipping business. And so to make to know that they're even happier in this design is is just truly fantastic.
0: Now, you have sales and marketing in your remit, and that is still pretty rare for heads of marketing, chief marketing officers. Could you speak a bit about that? What are the pros of it? And what are the challenges of it?
1: Well, it's interesting. When I first started with the UPS store, I was leading marketing only. And my predecessor had had both, but they brought me in in the marketing role only. And then over time, it was added. What I found is that when I didn't have it as part of my role, there was this friction that was occurring for whatever reason. Oh, marketing's not giving us the leads that we need. The quality of the leads aren't there. And so for a time, we actually moved the lead generation portion out of marketing and put it in sales. Okay, you don't think that this is groups doing? You do it. We did that for a while and sales came back and said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not our expertise. Is getting the lead generation. So then after that, all of it was reporting to me. Completely changed the dynamics. I made it clear to the marketing team that the sales team is your internal client. It's your internal customer and that's how you should be thinking about them. And then for the sales team, I said, listen, we're here to listen to you on what your needs are. But because they were all reporting to me it felt more like they were all part of the same team. Um, we started by doing an exercise with all the marketing and sales outside in our courtyard. Um, and they had to do exercises where they had different pieces, but you had to go through to different groups to put the pieces together. And of course we had to have a winner and the like. So sort of forcing the team building through silly exercises, helped them all feel like it wasn't us versus them. So we had some moments there, but it, in the end, it all came together. And now our lead generation, we far exceed our targets. Uh, we've exceeded our um, franchise sales targets. Um, we hit our target for sales back in October. We hit our lead generation targets for the calendar year. So we've we've definitely been on a roll for sure.
0: Do you move people in and out of marketing and sales? Is, are the career paths in and out of both functions or not?
1: We've done both. Mm-hmm. Um, we've moved some folks from marketing that I can think of to sales. We've um, moved someone from sales to marketing. So on some level, but not a great level for sure.
0: So I, would, I want you to talk a little bit about this, this big scope. You have sales as well. You, you I, I suspect, have a lot of direct reports.
1: How many do I have right now? Four, Seven. Not too
0: bad. What are your rituals with them to keep everyone working together? One team, one dream, you know, shared goals, collaboration high. What are some of the rituals you have, Michelle?
1: Yeah, I certainly have a what's hot uh, gathering on Mondays that helps us to just regroup and be accessible to each other for sure. Um, fairly good check ins, I call it, on a casual basis don't everybody to feel all the time that that shot report this at this exact moment. I like just picking up the phone and doing a check-in. You know how how are things going? I think the casual check-in uh, also is key. Um try to get together and we do um we used to do in-person huddles uh where we would just uh, celebrate a success, welcome a new member. So now we do those virtually. Um we just had one yesterday, for example. Um I try to help the those are more self-led um, by a, a smaller group within um, our department, and it's a time for either answering questions or sharing something. Um, we shared Halloween pictures, for example. Um, it's a good chance for me to embarrass myself, which I think is also you know, good. Yeah. Um, so those those both formal and informal get-togethers, I think, are key.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. You mentioned this a bit earlier. you are part of a larger entity, of course, UPS, which is a very big company, very successful company, and they also have a corporate chief marketing officer, uh, Kevin Warren. So I'd like you to talk about that. It's a situation that many of our listeners are in, right They're part of a global company, they might be a regional CMO or a CMO of a business unit so and so I'd like you to speak about how you work with Kevin, what sort of issues bring you together, how closely do you work with them, uh, kind of what, uh, what are your patterns or rituals with Kevin?
1: Yeah, so it's interesting. When I first started with the organization, that was one of the, uh, use the word mandates. Michelle, how can you work better with Atlanta? And I think that's where my Ford Motor Company background came from, came in handy because I was at Ford, being at the corporate office in corporate advertising, and then all the brands or whatnot, I understood the need to be in sync. Right? The, the, I joke as as wonderful as the and store is, that's not the key point. The key point is the shield, right? Mm-hmm. That is the that is the the most important piece. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Kevin Warren is a, a great person. Enjoy working with him. Um I have a dotted line reporting into an individual in and Ke- in Kevin's team so I stay connected there um sort of my counterpart as well I stay connected there um throughout different campaigns we've done our best I call it to be in sync we went uh we had we love logistics we had united problem solvers um right now we're working on getting in sync again because there was a moment where there was no creative from UPS so that's where In came from uh, and now we're working on United Problem Solvers, working closely with the Martin Agency, working with our agency and donors. So I'm a big believer in that um, the customer only sees one face. And so we need to make sure from a customer perspective, we can do as much as we can to be seamless. Um, so we're working on that both within our store environment and then with our communications as well. Closely tied when it comes to social media integration, PR integration. So. We're sort of, you know, we stay connected as much as we possibly can. But I do believe my Ford Motor Company background helps with my perspective uh, tremendously uh, in that regard.
0: Well, you seem to be doing it pretty well because at least my data shows the UPS brand equity is pretty darn strong. And I'd like you to reflect on that a bit, Michelle. You're part of that story, you've been there 11 years. What is it that you and your larger team have done? to move this brand forward and what would your advice be for other marketers who want to grow their sales, but also grow their brand equity?
1: Well, it's certainly been a privilege, privilege without a doubt. I felt that way working on other brands as well. I feel this personal responsibility, whether it's Ford, Mercedes-Benz, or, or certainly with UPS. So I think that personal responsibility is a motivator. It's certainly a motivator for me to take it, um, not just seriously, but to heart and that what you do impacts sort of the legacy of a brand, brands that have been around for over a hundred years. Um, like Ford Motor Company, like UPS, you, you have to have that personal, um, dedication and that personal passion. And I find that the individuals within our organization do have that. We're, we're personally, um, committed to what we do. And again, it goes back to franchising as well. You you just have that sense of responsibility, not only to a great brand, but individuals who have invested their life savings or close to that or their families that are involved. So it's not just the big brand. It's also the individual store owners who have made a commitment, both personally and um, financially. So yeah, it's it's a, it can be daunting at times. I'm human like the next guy. I joke that... Um, it can be overwhelming, but I, I do believe that I walked in and figured out, you know, where are the biggest pain points I, I joke that, you know, I went on a little bit of a listening tour to start and um boy, franchisees and franchising will give it to you every, every moment. And so it was up to me to listen and then uh, make the appropriate adjustments and prioritization. Um, again, I have these little sayings. I, you know, the typical eat the elephant one piece at a time. I try to eat the elephant one piece at a time and work on the areas that I think can have the greatest impact and then move on to the next one. I may get ideas and I may sit on them. I'll have email notes come in from a store owner and I'll sit on it for a couple of years, but I'll let it stay in my inbox because I know I need to get to that. I just can't get to it in the moment. And I think that's what's led to, um, Pretty good success over over the last eleven years. It's interesting. I, in having this interview, I reflected on it as well. So I pinged our uh, our team and I asked them, okay, what's been our top line growth since the eleven years I've been here? And it's at one hundred thirty three percent top line revenue growth. So I'm like, okay, well that's that's pretty good. You know, what's the next ten years going to bring? You always have to not just reflect on the past, but what's going to be your next 10 years? What's going to be your next five years? What are you going to do to make sure that it continues to be, um, to be successful?
0: Congratulations on that growth. It's marvelous. And I was, I was just reading a big article about you versus FedEx in Business Week, very complimentary about the brand and the team. What, what, uh, how do you keep everyone together on the brand? And this is a common issue with people working on a large brand, a global brand, which you are uh do you is it meetings is it communication is it a framework you develop is it through an agency so how does everyone sort of stay cuz really a brand is just about all of our behaviors right and something has to guide us
1: i uh i stick to the basics you know creative briefs can sometimes feel like oh you know why do you need to do those well you do them because everything you do has to have purpose you know we don't do things or make creative because it's fun or I follow the basics. You know, I, my undergraduate degree in marketing, I feel like I use it every day. Um, my marketing 101 class comes in handy. I know Professor A. Roy Menzies would be proud that, uh, that I do do that. So I, I try to follow the basics. And I, um, I do believe that marketing is a discipline, just like the finance department and the legal department and all the other departments. So I, I try to follow the basics because when you don't do that, you tend to stray um and that doesn't make any sense if you're going to have a positioning you should follow it the the whole point is to follow it um i'm very fact based i do a, a, enough research i try to not to overdo it but i try to do both short term and long term um research i like to be fact based it shouldn't just be about my personal opinion does that play into it of course it does how can it not however i i believe following the basics and being fact based are are sometimes underrated and they really shouldn't be if you do that then the outcome tends you you tend to up your probability of success when you do that and people want to follow i call it sometimes what's shiny and that's not always the best place to be um so but we we do some shiny things like make floats in the tournament of roses parade and things like that do we have moments of things that well you know, is it still on strategy? Yes. Is it a little out there? Maybe, but sometimes you have to be motivational as well. We're in a franchise system. You have to have a network of individuals who are excited and passionate about being part of it. And there's, there's some things that do that Um and building a float and being excited about having, um, you know, a giraffe and things like that can be exciting. So I, I do try to balance the, the basics with some level of excitement for sure.
0: You're very successful with your franchisees and you have a great attitude for it. Are there companies that you admire or benchmark who are also in the franchise business that you go to for inspiration?
1: Yeah. You know, we, we look at, depends on what the topic is at times. Um, right now, certainly looking at some of the things that McDonald's was doing to create this seamless environment, I think is, is, is doing a lot. Um, how they're out in the marketplace in general has been one we've been looking at of late. Um, luckily our agency uh, partner does some, some co-op work there. So it's, it's helpful to have some, um, perspective there, Uh, but that's the one that comes to mind for sure of late that I've seen that they tried to do things because they have to do things on a mass scale as well. You know, it's not the onesie twosie uh, scenario. So it's harder for us to find sort of the onesie twosies because we're the little bit of the behemoth in the category, if you will. Um, But that's also inspiring. When I look at some of our competitive core competitive set, um, I go, okay, well, we can't do that in that fashion, but how can we do it in a way that would be meaningful um, as well? But uh, yeah, McDonald's is probably the one that comes to mind of late. We also look at startups as well. I think that's another category that can be uh, meaningful because how is a startup being creative for whatever the category is? Um, we may not always be able to do it, but I want to know what that thinking is from a startup perspective. So sometimes we look at the little guys that are starting franchises and say, "Okay, how are they doing it, and how can we how can we copy, match, or or do something similar?"
0: I want to move to the creative brief now, Michelle. And the mm-hmm. first question I have for you is: You worked at Jacuzzi. Do you own one in Southern California?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. You'll laugh because part of my negotiations with coming on board, I said, you got to give me one. I said, I, I I call it a signing bonus, whatever. So they actually did give me uh, a jacuzzi at the time. And I lived in Kernet Mar. I had a three-story condo. So I said, you also, you also need to include installation. So they had to pull a crane out, get a crane and put a jacuzzi on the top of my condo in Kernet Mar. And, uh, so I did have one for a, for a time uh, as part of uh, when I lived there. But uh, I don't have one today, but uh, it was certainly enjoyable.
0: You're a good negotiator. That's a good, good part of the startup package, right? Get a <laughs> jacuzzi on my roof.
1: Well, you should have the product. Oh, I said, I need yes. to experience the product if I'm, if I'm going to work there. Yes, and, of uh, course. And so I also find myself correcting people because people will call uh, an in-ground spa a jacuzzi. And I find myself, even my family jokes about it. I said, no, that's an in-ground spa. That is not a, a branded jacuzzi, um, so uh, it's fine I love it. Yeah.
0: Now, who is the most significant business mentor in your life to date?
1: Oh, gosh, I've I've had so many that have had an impact on me. Some of the um, early individuals that I worked for at Ford Motor Company had a great impact. I can think of Algie and Betty as an example. Carl Bergman was another one that had an impact. Um, They all helped me at different moments in my career and they're still meaningful. It was, it was nice. Even on LinkedIn uh, with the interim role, uh, Algie and Betty ping me, you know, Oh, they should make it permanent type thing. So I I appreciate still having some fans out there. I call it. So I've had so much help on the way uh, along the way. It's hard to just, it's hard to just pick one.
0: What's the best advice you've gotten from a mentor?
1: Oh, Definitely, definitely Carl Bergman. Um, I was early in my career and I thought I knew everything, which is never, never true. And uh, we were working with uh, the first development of Mercury brand teams, right? And so um, we had very specific positioning. And I felt at the time that the PR team wasn't following, you know, the position that we had put together for Mercury. And Carl looked me straight in the face and he goes, listen, You need to have the notion that that's not their problem. It's your problem. And you need to take the notion if it is to be, it's up to me. You need to internalize that. Mm. And I went, okay. Being the overachiever, you know, I went right over to PR and say, hey, you know, we need to talk. We need to, you know, you're not doing it right. What can we do? Best relationship ever after that with PR. Um, The woman that was my counterpart there, we became best friends. Um, I took her to the black tie galas in automotive, you know, the prom night that they uh, did year after year on January 1st at the auto show. Um, So it was just an aha moment of internalizing those situations and going and reaching out and doing something about it that it's not, that's the better route to go rather than sit back and just complain about what the other person's doing. So I've, I've definitely followed that. Um, somebody in my team, even I think last week requoted that to me, you know, Michelle, how you say, she goes, I, my daughter just was talking about that. So it, it became very meaningful to me and a, just a better way to do
0: business. Most inspiring person in your life. Oh, um,
1: yeah, that one's probably pretty personal. My, uh, my husband passed away almost five years ago and he was, he was definitely um, somebody that I respected. And he was somebody that um, people wanted his respect so much. You know, he was just a solid person. And I really do think he made me a better person because of how he was. Boy, he had his principles. If he, if he, was, if he was stuck on something that was the right way to do something and he was from the Midwest, uh you know, Indiana, through and through, and um just a just a solid individual he definitely um is somebody that um I learned a great deal from for sure.
0: did he have a career outside the home?
1: He did, and uh it was interesting because um when I left Hyundai, you know that was sort of a turning point of being an automotive or not being an automotive, and at the time, I didn't feel you know very um good about the situation, and I knew I needed to sort of. Figure out what I wanted to do, and that's when I landed at Jacuzzi. And uh, a couple months after I started, he started working there. And so uh, he was a finance person, which no marketer loves finance people. So that was another quirky thing. So uh, once I left Jacuzzi, it opened up the opportunity for us to to have a relationship there. So uh, who knew that a marketer could be so connected to a finance person? Uh, I would have never thought that. But again, uh, learned a lot, and uh, he. He loved being a finance person. Um, anytime I needed help with the Excel spreadsheet, he was there for me. But yeah, I had a career in finance, most, mostly in that industry as well, um, in the bath industry for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: What's the one lesson you feel you carry forward from him and your relationship with him?
1: You know, it's um, he had a good balance with everything. He loved working hard, but he also just had some very good passion points. Uh, He was a car guy through and through. Um, He owned um, two Ferraris, a Maserati and a Mercedes, and I had the Range Rover. So it was the Italians, the Germans, (laughs) and the Brits out in the parking lot here uh, at our home. And um, he just had a really good balance between loving what he did and loving work and um, his passion points. Uh, as well. And obviously being a car guy, uh, it dragged me, I use the word drag, dragged me back to car shows and things like that. I thought getting out of automotive, I wouldn't be be going back to those, but uh, he certainly got me back to those. But he did teach me the notion of wanting to balance the two for sure and how both of them were important.
0: What are you looking forward to most in the next year, Michelle?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting in thinking about our business. Um, you know, where you go, having gone through a pandemic, having gone through social unrest, sort of what's next and trying to be proactive about that. I've already been thinking about what is that next transition? What do we need to do in our business to be forward thinking? Um, because we've, we've been through such a journey, um, to date being a such an essential business was partly a blessing and partly just um, mm-hmm. a challenging moment, like you can't believe. I've already been starting to focus on how people um, feel and how to manage stress and how to how to manage well-being within a business environment. Um, that is the balance right now. We've got a convention coming up in um, July of 2022 in, in Charlotte. And I already mentioned, what are we going to do about that for our network? How are we going to help them, not just from a business perspective, but from a like a human perspective? I think that's morphed more than ever. And we need to balance that, not just for our own internal employees, but how do you manage that when you do have a network of 5,000 locations and all the owners and all the associates? How can you help them with that? And so that certainly has been top of mind of late.
0: Michelle, last question for you. Anything for me before we sign off?
1: Yeah, we're. Um, what do you see for the next generation of marketers? And I don't mean the folks that are the 20-year-olds of, of the world, but I mean for marketers in general at any age group or at any point in their career, what do you see as what's coming next? or so what do you foresee?
0: I think the biggest capability we need to build is building trust building trust in each other, building trust in our companies, building trust in our brands. Trust is the fundamental element to relationships with each other, with companies and people. And I think trust is kind of fractured right now in lots of institutions. Some elements of business are trusted more than they were two years ago. That's great. But I think we need to really dissect what's it take to build trust and be sure that's in our organizations. Uh, I I do a lot of work with Deloitte. They have a new study or a new platform out about they really dissect trust and they look at the impact of trust on business and brands, what are the elements that drive trust. And I found that study to be very affirming. It just made me think much more about, are we working enough on that? As you talk about basics, trust is as basic as it gets. It's about keeping your promises. If you don't do that, it's sort of all bets are off.
1: For sure, without a doubt. It has been a pleasure having a conversation. Certainly, I do appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you, Michelle. It was wonderful. And sometime in San Diego, let's have a coffee or-
1: Oh, I'd love that. Or go paddle boarding or plant
0: some succulents or do something (laughs) like that. (laughs)
1: I'll do it. Definitely, I would really enjoy that for sure.
0: That was my conversation with Michelle Van Slyke. Three takeaways from this one for your business and life. These are all real fundamental and real powerful. The first one is the power of setting priorities. Michelle is great at this. She sees that as a leader's responsibility. She sets boundaries in her life. She thinks the most important thing she can do for her team is resources and priorities, and she's right. Second takeaway, this woman, Michelle, this leader works so well with others. There are so many lessons in how to work productively with all kinds of people. She talked about the lessons she learned early in her career at Ford, She talks about how she gets marketing and sales to work together well in her company now, the UPS store, and she talks an awful lot about listening. Third takeaway, never forget the basics in marketing. She talked about marketing being a discipline, just like legal or finance or operations. She talked about how important it is to get the basics right. Be fact-based, be clear in your goals. When you have a brief for a new project, to be very, very clear on success. This again